you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be there in just a moment. We've been in the series, The Final Steps, where we've been tracing the final week of Christ. And so today's message, there's a little bulletin insert you can follow along, fill in some blanks. Today's message is entitled, The Way of Suffering. When was the last time you heard a good message on suffering? I think most of us would respond to that question by saying, is any message on suffering really considered good? The reality is that we try to avoid suffering at all costs to such the degree that we actually avoid conversations about suffering. For instance, if I needed surgery and I went to see the doctor and the doctor pulled out a mannequin and he began to demonstrate on the mannequin what he was going to do to me, I would totally pass out. I, I don't even want to think about suffering or pain. My wife had a C-section. If I'd have known beforehand what they were going to do, I would have said, I'm just going to go play golf. I don't want to think about it. Um, you know, if, if a doctor tried to tell, we're just going to, we're going to cut you open right here. We're going to pull all this stuff out. We're going to rearrange things. We'd be like, no, just don't tell me how to do your job. I'm not going to do it. Nobody's going to catch me on an airplane and say, you look like a doctor. Why don't you perform emergency app, an appendectomy? I would go, no, I don't want to know how you do what you do. Just do it and don't tell me about it. If you've ever been to a dentist and he had to do a dental procedure, you'll notice that the dentist does everything they can to shield you from all of the instruments, the sharp objects, and the needles that they are going to jab into your gums. Even so, they, when, they, when they have the needle in their hand, they stand in front. They, they're in between you and the needle. They have it behind their back. And they go, they, they, they say, okay, open wide, and you're opening wide, and they can tell if you're looking. And sometimes they say, don't look, you know. And they really try to keep it low without poking you to keep the needle low so it doesn't come in your field of vision because pain e needles equal pain and pain equals suffering. And if they keep it out of sight, we, we don't think about the pain and the suffering until the moment that it's too late when they jab you. And we're in that time of year. I know you're thinking this is the craziest Christmas sermon I've ever heard. <clears throat> we're in the time of year where everybody has in their head this mental picture of Jesus as this little baby, sweet little baby Jesus. He's innocent. He wouldn't hurt a fly. He's sweet as can be. He doesn't even cry. You get the idea. But what people fail to remember is that Jesus didn't stay a baby. He didn't stay a baby walking all over Judea. He grew up into a man, and he was a man on a very specific mission where he predicted his own suffering and death as the fulfillment of that mission. And on, least, on at least three occasions, Jesus told his disciples that he would suffer and die. When Jesus first prophesied his suffering to the disciples in Matthew 16, Peter spoke up and he said to Jesus, you forbid it, because he said, God forbid it, and Jesus is God. And so he said, you forbid it. 
This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter in Matthew 16, 23. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, man's mind tries to avoid suffering. God's mind demonstrates that sometimes suffering is necessary. It's okay that you don't say amen a lot in this sermon, but every once in a while just lets me know I haven't lulled you to sleep. Okay? Would most of you go to the doctor if you didn't feel pain or discomfort somewhere in your body? Not more than once a year for your annual physical, and you only do that because you get a discount on your insurance when you do it. Pain is your body's signal that something is wrong. And sometimes you go to the doctor for one thing, and the doctor ends up finding something way worse that you didn't even know about, potentially saving your life. Now, I know suffering is not a popular topic today. You probably won't be a best-selling author if you write a book about suffering for Christ. Uh, I think there's only one guy who wrote a book about it, and he's had to give it away. Um, people today don't want to read stuff like that. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to hear it. And you might have shifted in your seat 15 times already just thinking about where we're going to go today, and thinking how long is this sermon going to be. But Jesus demonstrated his, in his statement to Peter in Matthew 16, not all suffering can be rebuked. Not all suffering is from Satan. Now, we suffer because of sin, yes, but Jesus suffered, and he had to suffer. So not all suffering can be rebuked. The minister and the author, Dr. Oz Guinness, said that people typically ask three questions when in times of suffering. First, why me? Second, where's God? And three, how can I stand it? We're not going to probe into those too deeply because it would really need to be kind of its own sermon series. But uh, instead, we're just going to look at how Christ suffered. To We're going to look to a degree at how Christ suffered and what that means for us. So Matthew 27, if you've been holding your place, Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31. This is what it says in the ESV. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers about 600 to 1,000 men. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on its head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. This past week, I read Matthew's account, this story. I read Mark's account, and I read John's account. And I was honestly at a loss for words. My Jesus, who has transformed my life so dramatically from what it was, who has saved me, who has healed me, who has delivered me, who has restored me, who has blessed me and loved me, 
was mocked, beaten, spit upon, and humiliated. I struggled to wrap my brain around it. I can't understand such hatred against anyone, let alone someone so humble, so loving, so gracious, so completely innocent. Roman soldiers gave Jesus, they, they mocked Jesus by giving him the symbols of royalty. They took off his old clothes and they gave him a purple robe to wear, symbolizing royal position. They set a crown of thorns on his head, symbolizing the royal crown that would be uh, on the head of a king. They put a staff in his hand, symbolizing a royal scepter, and then they beat him with the staff again and again and again. They mockingly bowed down to him. They spit on him. His beard was ripped out of his face. His back became one long stripe from the beating that he endured from the flagellum, this leather whip that was made out of, at the end of it had pieces of bone and metal attached to dig into your skin, rip the skin right off. Isaiah had told the people this would happen, but they weren't paying attention. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, Isaiah prophesied, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah wasn't crucified. Isaiah didn't have his beard plucked out. Isaiah didn't wasn't whipped with the flagellum. But Isaiah was prophesying that the Messiah would be. That the God of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of the universe, the Lion and the Lamb, the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings, and the Lord of all lords would be disgraced and humiliated for me, for you, and until we can comprehend the level of Christ's suffering, I think we will always struggle to understand why God allows us to suffer. His head, his face, his arms, shoulders, chest, back, legs, feet, all endured suffering and pain. He suffered so much that he nearly died before he got to the cross. The beating that he took from the whip killed most people. 39 lashes. Most people didn't survive the beating. Yet he endured because it was not prophesied that he would die attached to a whipping post for your sins. It was prophesied that he would die on a cross. He had to survive to Golgotha, to be pierced by nails, because it was prophesied. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. Like the bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness, he had to be raised up on a wooden stake so that all who looked towards him, as he became the curse, as all who looked towards him for salvation, would be saved. But we don't like to hear about it. It's unsettling. If you watched Passion of the Christ, it was unsettling. 
if they made a movie just about the the punishment and the death of Christ, they couldn't even show it in theaters because of the brutality of what Jesus endured. It's uncomfortable for us. It's unsettling. It's troublesome. If Christ suffered, does that mean I will too? Hopefully. You didn't think I was going to answer it that way, did you? Paul wrote in several of his New Testament letters for believers in Christ to expect and endure suffering, affliction, and persecution. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, and this is the part you can highlight, underline, emphasize. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says right there, Romans 5.3, Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings. The word rejoice means to give glory for it. Paul gave glory to God for his sufferings and tribulations. We have to ask ourselves, do we do that? To be honest, I sometimes, probably most of the time, I complain about hitting a red light on my way home. I don't look at that red light and say, thank you, red light, for giving me a few extra minutes to spend with the presence of Jesus in this car. To listen to a little bit more of my audio Bible or to listen a little bit more to worship music or to pray a little bit longer. No, I'm despising that red light and despising everybody who's got a green light because I want to go home. I want to go wherever I want to go. And if we don't rejoice when we get hit by inconvenience, how much more do we not rejoice when we truly suffer? Paul told Timothy, a fellow worker in the Lord in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To which many of us would say, no thanks. You know, there goes Paul talking crazy again. Share in suffering. Why don't, Paul, why don't you do all the suffering for all of us? But the first thing I want you to take away from this is, the, is our first point. God uses suffering for good. God uses suffering for good. The, this fact can be seen throughout the entire Bible, but nowhere more clearly than in Christ's crucifixion. Jesus did not suffer and die for anything he had done. He suffered and died for what all of humanity had done. We sinned 
We broke covenant with God. We lied. We stole. We blasphemed his holy name. We disobeyed those in authority over us. We were judged by God's laws and we were found utterly and completely guilty. We must remind ourselves of one of Paul's other verses in Romans, which must be understood rightly. Romans 8, 28. People like to quote it a lot. Sometimes they don't get it quite right. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When Paul wrote the words, we know, he used the Greek word referring to him being a firsthand eyewitness of God taking affliction and persecution and suffering and turning it to something good. All things aren't good, but God can bring good from all things. Cancer is not good. Car accidents are not good. Diabetes is not good. COVID-19, it's not good, but God can bring good out of all things. For those who are looking to him as the author and perfecter of their faith. And some Christians are so averse to suffering and affliction, they would rather give in to temptation than to suffer from not giving in to it. They can't handle five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes of affliction when the enemy tempts them to do something they know they shouldn't do. If we can't stand up to that kind of suffering, how could we ever suffer for Christ? And don't be deceived. The New Testament is full of prophecies about the coming suffering and persecution for Christ that the church will endure. The question every one of us must answer is, will we choose to endure it? Or will we seek an apostate's exit? I don't want to suffer. I don't want my wife and kids to suffer. I don't want you to suffer. I would love for everyone to be able to worship Christ freely without persecution, but that may not be much of an option. For too much longer. I heard one missionary talk about how his son had grown up and was now ministering on the same streets that this missionary used to preach on. Streets where this missionary was beaten up and stoned and persecuted when he preached the gospel. And then he said, he said, I love my son so much. But if my son was martyred on those streets, it would bring me the greatest joy knowing that my son had died to make Christ known among the nations. That is radical. And much like a significant chunk of Jesus' teachings, that's hard to accept. Not everyone will accept it. But we know that God uses suffering for good. And number two, we know that suffering draws us closer to Christ. I don't think a Christian can be any closer to Christ than while they are enduring suffering and affliction. Have any of you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? 
It actually predates the 1611 King James Version. Back in the Puritan days, churches used to have to shackle uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs to their pulpits because people were so moved by the stories, they would steal the book from the church so they could read it at home. So they actually had to chain the book to the pulpit so people in their church would stop borrowing the book. And it wasn't a list of people who lived a long, comfortable Christian life. It's right there in the title. It contains stories of people who gave their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been said more Christians have died for the gospel in the 20th century than from the 1st to the 19th centuries combined. Christians around the world are still giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. Would you? I don't have to answer that. If America was overtaken by extremists and they were rounding up Christians to execute them, would you go home and get your Glock or would you get your Bible? Now, I know we live in a very Second Amendment loving state and country, hopefully, and we love our right to bear arms. But Christ never commanded us to kill our persecutors. Would you defend yourself? Or would you rejoice in suffering? This is very tough. Very tough. Because some of you might even know how many bullets you have at home. You might even have a, a, a gun safe and it's well oiled and well stocked. And, and you're thinking, how many guns could I carry at one time? You know, bring it on. I remember, I, I remember when ISIS was really... You know, uh, everybody was talking about ISIS going into different countries, and they're like, let ISIS invade Texas. Jesus told his disciples the night he was arrested, <clears throat> don't you realize, all I have to do, this is what Jesus said, all I have to do is ask the Father, and he would send legions of angels to protect me. But if I defended myself, how then would the scripture be fulfilled? If anyone ever had a right to protect and defend his own life, it was the sinless son of God. And even he didn't do it. We have it in our heads that if we're suffering, we've done something wrong. That suffering, that all suffering is bad. And that if we're suffering, for suffering, that something has gone off the rails. But Jesus suffered. All of the apostles suffered. Paul's letter to the Philippian church from a Roman prison with his impending death on the horizon is all about finding joy in suffering. Philippians 1.29, Paul wrote, For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 
It has been granted to you. It has been freely bestowed upon you. It has been graciously given to you to have the opportunity to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Later on in Philippians, Paul listed his ministry credentials. He was well-educated. He was zealous for God's laws. He was a model Jew. But then his tone changed because there was something else that he had discovered that was worth so much more than diplomas and accolades or praise from other people. He wrote in Philippians 3 verses 8 through 11, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10 is what I really want you to focus in on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And in some translations it says, the fellowship of his sufferings. Be like him in his death. It's hard to be like him in his death. It's really hard to share and fellowship with Christ in his sufferings if we try to avoid suffering for Christ. If we try to avoid persecution for the name of Christ. If we try to avoid affliction for living the lifestyle of Christ. Yet scripture gives us our marching orders. If we suffer with him and die daily to ourselves, die daily to our wants and our desires, then we shall be raised to life with him in the power of his resurrection. We shall behold him and we shall be like him in a glorified body. The mortal will put on immortality. The corrupted will put on incorruptible Death will give way to everlasting and eternal life. Hallelujah. Worship team, come on up. Would you stand with me this morning? In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles were arrested. I've read this plenty of times. I totally missed it. I didn't realize all the apostles were arrested. You want to talk about squashing Christianity and crushing the movement, arrest all the leaders, and that's exactly what they did. All of the apostles were arrested by the high priest. This is all of the men that were directly connected with Jesus Christ. They were put in prison by the high priest because he wanted to kill them all. And instead, God worked a miracle out and broke them all out of prison. Did they go home and hide? Not wanting to be arrested or put to shame again? No. Did they avoid preaching about Jesus because that how they had already suffered for uh, his name for the gospel? No. As soon as the angel broke them out of prison, they went right back to the temple court to preach about Jesus. They were all called in before the religious leaders and they were strictly commanded to stop 
preaching. In Acts 5, 41 through 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They rejoiced that God counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. We sometimes get so wrapped up in what other people think about us that we wouldn't want to be made fun of or labeled as a Jesus freak by our friends or neighbors or co-workers. And we forget the words from that Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How can we act ashamed of the very thing that saved us from our sins and the penalty of those sins? I would rather someone know that I'm a Christian than for them to assume otherwise. I would rather have the presence and the grace and the love and the wisdom of Christ ooze out of every single pore of my being to those around me than for someone to look at me and not see a shred of Christ's character in my life. Brothers and sisters, we must absolutely, wholeheartedly, undeniably get to the place where we are willing to suffer shame, dishonor, and persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. The time is coming the time is now here when the gospel of Christ is so watered down, it's so polluted, it's so confused with so many other things that people struggle to know what the truth is anymore. The true gospel tells us there is not a crown without a cross. That's what Satan offered Jesus during his wilderness temptations. Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll bow down to me. I'll give you a crown without having to go to the cross. But Jesus knew the truth. There is no crown without the cross. And the way of the cross is the way of suffering and self-denial. With all that Christ endured for us, we certainly can endure some discomfort, some affliction, some persecution, and some suffering for him you find yourself in those situations, remember that God can bring good from suffering. Suffering will draw you closer to Christ and you can rejoice in being counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It's totally natural to want to avoid suffering, but it's totally spiritual to embrace it and endure it. Remember the words what Jesus said to Peter the night of Peter's betrayal. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Understand that Jesus is praying for your endurance and suffering. He's praying that when the heat gets turned on, you will stand firm in your faith. That you've already counted the cost and you've died daily to your fleshly desires. One song as a matter of fact, in, in your bulletin insert, I've given you a little homework if you want to go deeper on this topic this week. One of the quotes from the song I've recommended, it says, For the one who gave me life, nothing is a sacrifice. Use me how you want to, God. Have your throne within my heart. 
I'm not going to ask you to come up front or slip up a hand or anything like that. I'm just going to ask you to be honest with yourself. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Just be honest with yourself. To you, do you consider your faith weak or non-existent? Would you avoid suffering for Christ if you could avoid it? Do you give in to temptation rather than feel the affliction from that temptation? Do you do more things for yourself rather than practicing self-denial? Do you does your lifestyle look really like the opposite of Christ's lifestyle? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then don't leave here having this issue unresolved. Take your relationship with God seriously. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Then come and follow Christ. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I'll come back up in a moment. We'll close in prayer.